We are in the middle of our series, Portrait of a Healthy Christian, and we are taking, I told you when we, when we began this, that we were going to look at eight marks of a healthy Christian, and the more I read Romans 12, the more marks I have, so who knows how long this may go, right? Uh, but I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit, and I'm going to talk more for, on more than just one or two of these marks this morning as we have time. We'll see how far we get. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is the key, I think, to the entire book of Romans. When you get to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, everything up in Romans 1 through 11, it, it kind of culminates now in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then in, from 3 on going to the end of the book, uh, everything after that really ties back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and so when we come to these marks of being a healthy Christian and we're looking in, in chapter 12, we have to understand all of it comes back to being a living sacrifice and being transformed by the renewal of our mind. Everything else, you know, these are all marks of a healthy Christian, you know, these things that we've been talking about, but it's that living, that willingly surrendering to God. And that's really hard, right? You remember the illustration I gave of, of a worm. You try to put a worm on a hook and it wiggles around. And let me tell you, those worms are not easy to get on. I don't know how a big old fat, juicy nightcrawler can get so skinny when it's trying to, you're trying to put it on a point of a hook, right? And sometimes we do the same thing with God. We don't willingly surrender our lives to him. We're like that earthworm and we're, we're squirming all over the place. And then Paul tells us in verse 2 that we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. He says that we need to have the mind of Christ. And that's hard to do, isn't it? See, our mind, even, how many of you don't answer this because I know the answer? Every single one of us. You've probably been in your, in your prayer time or you've been in your worship time. You've been a time with God and, and everything is going wonderful. And then the, the, the most foul thing come in your mind right? And it happens. It happens to preachers. Let me assure you of that. It, it happens. But we are to be transformed with the mind of Christ, that, that in everything we do, we think the way Jesus did. And, and that leads us to the next one is we need to serve one another with the gifts that God gave us. God has given us spiritual gifts, and many of us, more than just one, if you've taken the spiritual gift inventory that we've made at your disposal, you may have had one or two or maybe even more of these spiritual gifts, and you can see that some are, are higher than others. And, and your whole purpose, when you become a healthy Christian, when you are transformed by the renewal of your mind, when you are willingly surrendering yourself to him on his altar, you're serving others with the gifts that he's given you. And the way that we serve others with the gifts that he's given us, we do it with agape love. You think about that. When, excuse me, when we look in the New Testament, every time you see the word love, when it has to do with God, it's never phileo, it's never brotherly love. It is always agape love. It is always that love that says, I will put your needs before mine. 
And that's how God wants, hey, listen, we, if we learned uh, last time I was up here, that we are to phileo love one another. We are to brotherly love one another. But more than that, he is telling us that we need to agape love. We need to put other people's needs and desires and best interest above ours in everything that we do. And then last week, Robbie talked about abiding in him, in Christ. He talked in, uh, in John chapter 15. Jesus tells us that we are to abide in him and we can't do anything apart from him. And that word abide, and uh, you know, Robbie told us it means to remain attached. It means to hold on to. It, needs, it means that you can't be severed from it. And you think about your own life. You know, when we talk about uh, uh, abiding in Christ, that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? it it's, it's easy to become unattached. You, you know, uh, something happens in your life. Maybe, maybe there's a hor- horrific event. Maybe a family member gets mad at you. Maybe a church person, whatever it is, that these horrific things happen in your life. And, and if we are not abiding in him, when we're not remain, remaining attached to him, boy, it's easy to just go off and do things on our own and we just mess stuff up, right? So he's telling us that we need to remain walking, abiding in him and everything. You know, there is nothing we can do good or holy or godly in our own power. We can't do it. It only comes through the power of Jesus in our lives. So today, uh, here's what I want us to do. We're going to look at some health, some more healthy marks of a Christian uh, and having a, being a healthy Christian. But in order to do that, I want us to read Romans 12 together. So if you would stand in honor of God's word. And we're going to read the whole chapter. Now, if you would just follow along, don't try to read with me. You'll just confuse me, okay? So read to yourself. I will read, uh, we're going to read Romans chapter 1. I mean, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. He writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in body, uh, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now to our text this morning, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. 
and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, live with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our Father in heaven, thank you for these words. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. In these words that we see here of how to live a healthy Christian life. And Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you this morning, that we see Jesus face to face. Move David out of the way and let us see you. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, next in our list of marks of a healthy Christian is diligence. Look in verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You know, I can't think of a better time than now to talk about diligence in the Christian life. A uh, week before last, we took 29 people to New Orleans, and I watched 28 people for over a week be diligent for the Lord. I mean, they worked hard for God. Uh, they did everything that they needed to do and more. This word diligent means careful and persistent effort. So if I ask you in your own Christian walk with God, are you diligent? Are you careful? Are you persistent in your walk with Christ? Are you diligent in your uh, walk with him? And as we went there last week before last to New Orleans and we took all of these missionaries down there, listen, we talked all week long about number one, be Christ-like in everything that we do. Number two, be flexible. But you know, we didn't talk about diligence, but I didn't have to because each of these missionaries, not only were they diligent in the tasks that they were assigned and, and working with other people, but they were diligent in being Christ to those around them, even those other missionaries. And one of the nights, I think maybe it was the first night where we talked about, listen, we are not here necessarily for the people of New Orleans. We're not here for the pastor of the church that we're going to be doing the block party at. We're not here for the family that we're putting sheetrock in their house. We are not here to, for this community center just to do a Bible study. No, we are here. All of those things are byproducts of what? Of serving God. We are here to serve the Lord. And, and we put that in, in the forefront of everything that we did, that while we were doing it for someone else, it was really for God. And, and uh, a spirit-filled believer, by definition, you know, wants to do it for God. You can never be dull. You can never be boring. You can never be humdrum. 
uh, the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit radically alters who we are, yes? It, it, It changes us. Listen, the moment that the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life, you are a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come and he has made you something different. I heard a preacher not long ago say, hey, listen, when you become a Christian, you just discover who you've always been. That is hogwash. You are something brand new. The moment that Christ comes into your life and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. So why should our life reflect our old life? It should not. We should be living differently. And we, are, we can't be that same old, dull, boring, humdrum person that we used to be. Listen, it, service for God should not be a drudgery. Maybe you feel like this guy in the picture behind me, right? You, you, you're asked to work with the, the Iwanas and you, oh, man, I, I got to work with Iwanas, I don't know. Or you're asked to be in the choir, oh, yeah, I love to sing. I'd be happy to sing. no. If your life is full of the Holy Spirit, you can't look like this guy, can you? That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to do it with zeal and enthusiasm. And and here's what I want you to understand when you talk about diligence, diligence and discipleship are hand in hand. You can't be a true disciple without being diligent. You understand that, right? You think about your discipleship, the moment man, my nose, I'm sorry. The moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ, were you fully mature spiritually? No. It is something. It's that act of sanctification as we become more like Jesus, right? The more we are discipled, the more we become like Jesus. And discipleship doesn't happen overnight. You have to be diligent with it. Uh, you, you have to work, you have to persist. And you think about discipleship, the main thing about discipleship, whether you believe this or recognize this or not, is g- delayed gratification. Do you know that? Throughout the Bible, everything we do when, as a disciple of Christ, where does our gratification come? It may not always come here on this earth, but we have delayed gratification when we get to heaven with him. That's why we are his disciple. It's not just because we, oh, Jesus is cool. I want to have Jesus in my life or going to church is a good thing. I want to go to church or whatever the case may be. We know that we have a goal and that is to spend eternity in his presence. Yes. So it's this delayed gratification. Discipleship takes patience. It requires a determined spirit in a culture obsessed with everything that is right now. You know, you get instant mashed potatoes, instant macaroni and cheese, instant rice, instant oatmeal, instant grits. I mean, you, you name it, everything is in the world wants it now. But we as Christians understand that it's not doubt. We have to be diligent, being the person that he's called us to be from the beginning all the way to the end. And then when we get there, we have this gratification of being with him forever. Are you diligent? A transformed life is marked by determined diligence. Number two, look at verse 12. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You know what? A healthy Christian changes his or her perspective. Remember the picture? If that's your life before Christ, you need to change your perspective after Christ. 
See, what happens is we continue to think about everything that used to be, but it goes back. We are a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new is come, and so our perspective needs to change. We need to take our eyes off of the things of this world and place them where? On Jesus, right? But what we do is we continue, you know, life is going to beat us up. (laughs) I mean, Satan is the ruler of this world right now. But we know that his time is coming. And whenever that time comes, until that time comes, we're going to get beat up as Christians. We're going to get beat up in the media. We're going to be beat up in our families. We're going to be beat up in school. We're going to be beat up in our jobs. We're going to be beat up in our neighborhoods. We're just, listen, life is tough. Even Jesus warned us, hey, listen, in this life, you're going to have tribulations. But what did he say? Hey, listen, I've overcome them already. And so we need to live with a different perspective, yes? Our perspective needs to be taken off of the world around us and placed on Jesus himself. That's where our perspective needs to be. Faith doesn't end at the moment of conversion. You realize that, right? You know, we all have this saving faith. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you can honestly say, that there was a time in my life that I recognized that I was a sinner and I recognized that I was separated from God and I asked Jesus to come into my life, fill me with his Holy Spirit, make me that new creation. If you can honestly say that, we, you have that faith, but that faith doesn't end there. Faith is needed to please God. Do you realize that? It's not just for saving, it's for the discipling as well. It's becoming who God has called us to be. We believe that through faith in God's grace, we become a disciple of Jesus. But it's that same faith that makes us into the image of Jesus. It is through the lens of faith that we should see the work of God in our own lives. Do you see God working in your life? I know what some of you can say. I bet if I asked you to take out a pen and paper, you would sit down and you could write a hundred or more things about how God has worked in your life in the past. Oh, God did this. Oh, God did that. Oh, God did this. Oh, God did that. But how many of you can sit down with a piece of paper and say, this is what God is doing by faith. I see him working. I see him moving I see him doing things in my family and in my church. You see, we need to be here and now. Faith is an active portion of how we view the current condition of our life. It is the recognition that life is difficult, but it is not impossible. We have a hope and a faith that there is more to come. That's what Peter tells us, you remember what Peter tells us? He says that those of us who are born again, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we take our perspective, when we take our eyes off of the world on the troubles, all the hardships, all the meanness, all the ugliness, when we take what we have, the promise giver give us the greatest promise that could ever be given. And that is eternal life forever with him in heaven. So why would we put our perspective on the things around here when we have the promise giver says, put your eyes up here, right? Put your eyes on Jesus and in heaven. Listen, all all the true transformation requires 
true perspective. Listen, your strength, your ingenuity, your abilities, how good you are, how bad you are, however you want to look at it, listen, none of those are sufficient. Faith and hope are a continued reliance on Jesus now until his return. And our perspective should be on him. A transformed life is marked by our perspective of what is happening now and the belief and the reality of the promise that will happen in the future. Number three, look at verse 13. Paul writes, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul is telling us that we need community. We need one another, yes? We need, hey, if the last two and a half years taught us anything, it taught us that we need each other. I mean, I see these people that are still sitting at home and telling me that they're worshiping on green, uh, watching TV and watching Green Acres. <laughs> Listen, it's great, but it's not what we're called to do. We are called to be with one another. Paul tells us in Hebrews 11, do not forsake meeting together. We, Paul knew it, God knows it. After all, when God created us in his image, he created us for what reason? To have a relationship. He wants a relationship with you. And if he wants a relationship with you, doesn't it stand to reason that he wants us to have relationship with his children, his other believers in him? We need community. We need one another. And here's the problem in the church today, and it's not just Hollybrook Baptist Church, but I think churches in general. Here's the problem. We come to church and we put up this facade. You've seen the commercials. I thought about this in the last service. It's not in my notes, but I remember the commercial, maybe, and I don't even know, but it's depression and the girl has the little sign and has the little smiley face and she holds it. You know what I'm talking about? See, we come to church with our little smiley face sign and we don't let people in. And if we are truly a healthy, the portrait of a healthy believer means that I need you and you need me. And it's not just about me meeting your needs financially or me meeting your needs physically. It means that we meet each other's needs emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all of the above. And we come in with our little mask on and we say, oh, everything's okay. Oh, I'm fine. Yes, I'm fine. But it's not, right? We need to be able to sit down. Listen, the way that it's here, it's impossible for you to be real with me and me. Well, I try to be real with you, but I, I don't get to do this one-on-one. -on -one. But your Sunday school classes, and we have now a life group, and we're starting at least one more new life group in August, and I hope many more life groups to come, where you can go into someone's home or into your home if you choose to lead a life group, or you can go into your Sunday school class. Listen, Sunday school is not just about reading the Bible. I know that's what all the teachers are going to get mad at me. I'm here to teach the Bible. Good. We are here to do community. That word community, or that word that we see in, in uh, Romans there, it's koinonia. Now that's different. You've heard of the word koinonia, right? Koinonia means that we, we do life together, that we fellowship together. Koinonia means that we share together. It's different, but the same, right? 
And that's what he's telling you. That's what our Sunday school is for. That's what home groups are for. That's what your friends are for. You need to come together and throw off the facade, break down the brick wall, and be real with one another. Man, you're talking about being healthy. You say, listen, pastor, you don't know the garbage I got. No, I don't, but you don't know the garbage I got either. Maybe we need to share our trash together. Need to take it out. Thank you. So we need to live in community. A transformed life is marked by living together in community, sharing each other's needs with one another. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <coughs> good. My nose is messed up. We are to have righteousness. Righteousness. See, Paul is telling us to live a life worthy of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, this is the gospel. That Jesus lived, that he died on the cross for your sin, and he was resurrected. That is the gospel. That is the good news. But the gospel is much more than that. The gospel is everything that we do to one another. It is the way that we live our life with that perspective in mind that Jesus died for our sins. That is the perspective of the gospel. That is how we are to live. We are to live in righteousness. And you think about it just again about Hollybrook, but any church, evil wants to overcome the church. You understand that Satan right now is the ruler of this world. He is in charge. Yes, everybody know that, right? He's in charge. And what does he want to do is he wants to bring evil into the world and in particularly into God's people. Because if he can bring evil into God's people, then God's people is not doing what they're supposed to be by out there sharing Jesus and saving the world, right? So Satan is smart. He says, I'm going to bombard the church with evil. I'm going, to, I'm going to push in a little bit of syncretism. I'm going to push in a little bit of this false hope. I'm going to push in a little prosperity gospel. I'm going to put, and he says, listen, and Paul says, don't be overcome by that evil. It's going to come. And it's not just in the church as a whole, but it's going to come into your life. And he says, don't be overcome by evil. What does he say instead? Overcome evil with good. Be the person that God has called you to be. Have the right perspective. Have, uh, live in abiding in him and we can overcome evil with good. Think about all the things that Christ has done on your behalf. Sometimes it's so evil, uh, easy. Hey, Kleenex man, thank you. Sometimes it's so easy to give up. Well, you know, the world is tough. It's evil. Uh, they, they just want to bombard the church. And then we remember what Jesus did for us. See, him wanting us to be righteous, you know, it's not just a hope in God's point. In, in okay, I'm going to make this Christian it's guaranteed. There are times when we're not righteous. Listen, I'm not talking about you losing your salvation or anything like that, okay? But there are times when we're not living righteously, right? But it is guaranteed. God says, 
listen, if you're going to make it to heaven, you're going to do so because your righteousness is not of your own doing. It's all because of who I am. So it's guaranteed. Here's the part that's not. We have the ability to say yes and no to the evil that comes into our life. And instead of being overcome by it, what do we do? We do what is good. And we can only do what is good in when we are abiding in Jesus. So the more we abide in Jesus, the less the evil, the evil may come and attack us, but we won't let it overcome us because why? We're abiding in Jesus and doing good. Look at 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. A healthy believer is generous believer. Randy Alcorn writes, it is estimated that 15% of everything Jesus said as recorded in the Gospels relates to money or possessions. He said more about uh, money than heaven and hell combined. So you think money and possessions was important to Jesus? You bet your life it was. Do you think generosity was important to Jesus? He bet his life that it was. Because it was his generosity that took him to the cross. It was his generosity that held him in that place because of his love for you and I. See, as a church member, we are to be generous. And you go, well, how do I do that? Well, it's, you know, tithes and offerings, yes. That's part of it. But if you see someone in the congregation then you can meet their need and you have the wherewithal to do it, then do it. That's being generous. You know, when we were um, having our uh, youth fishing tournament, we needed a couple of more boats. And so I called up a gentleman and I said, hey, listen, can we borrow your boat for the fishing tournament with the teenagers? I'll find somebody safe to captain it for you. He goes, it's not by boat, it's God's boat. You can come and take it anytime you want to. That's what being generous is all about. Understanding that this person understood that he is not the owner, he is just the manager of that boat. And we too need to understand that fact. That everything that we have I don't care how hard you work or how many degrees you have or how smart you are or how many A's you got or how many promotions you got. Listen, everything you have is because God gave it to you, period. He gave it to you. You did not earn it. He gave it to you. And we need to understand that everything that we have comes from him and it belongs to him. And our goal is to serve him. Why did Jesus create us? Yes, to have relationship. Why did God keep us after we're saved? So that we could glorify him with our lives. How better to glorify him than in our generosity to others? You think about these, uh, when Paul wrote this in, 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 in ancient uh, Middle East, listen, you're talking about today we're seeing the haves and the haves not get further and further away right but it was truly like that back in the in in paul's time there was some rich people and mostly poor people there was not a middle class 
And our middle class, while dwindling away, it is exactly how it was in, in Roman time. It was the wealthy and the poor. And so these wealthy Christians would take their resources and they would either sell them and give the money to the poor people in the church, or they would just have it and give it to it. And, and it was a beautiful thing. They were generous. They knew they had things that they could, and listen, how do you, how do you measure generosity? Can I tell you, you can't. You know, if, if, if we pass the plate and I watch somebody fill out a check for a million dollars and put it in the offering plate, by the way, if you can do that, feel free to fill out a check for a million dollars and put it in the offering plate, Okay. But if I watched you fill out a check for a million dollars, you put it in the offering plate, I go, whoa, look at that boy. <laughs> Generous. And then right after him, I see somebody write out a check for a hundred dollars and they put it in the offering plate, and I go, a hundred bucks. <laughs> I don't know if that guy that wrote the check for a million has another 200 million in the bank to back him. And the guy that wrote the check for a hundred only has another hundred in the bank. Who was the most Generous guy with a hundred so it's not about how much your gift is it's about the condition of your heart are you living a generous life a healthy Christian lives a generous life here in Romans 12 Paul has given us the blueprint for a healthy Christian life these marks of a transformed life are merely the signs of Christ's presence in us and through us. They are the witness of the Spirit's work in our lives. And when we see these marks, it's because God keeps his covenant to conform us into the image of God, into the image of his Son. It's the place many of us should return to just like abiding in Christ is hard, sometimes we, we detach ourselves or unattach ourselves. We let go. And we need to hold on tight. We need to remember these marks as we live out our lives on a daily basis. We should return to, to the community of believers serving one another with our gifts that he's given us. We should be generous. We should love with agape love. We should be diligent and have the right perspective, not on this world, but on the world to come. God is not hoping to initiate transformation in your life. He guarantees it. If you have put your faith in Jesus, he tra he, that transformation is guaranteed. So why fight him? Why don't you just go ahead and willingly surrender to be that living sacrifice on his altar? That's why we come today. We come to this Lord's meal because Jesus was willingly, he willingly surrendered. I'm gonna ask our deacons to come forward and just sit on the front row for a moment. Jesus 
willingly surrendered. That's why we're able to, to observe this Lord's meal today because of what he has done for us. I've got two prayers that I'd like to ask you to pray. And not all of us can pray both prayers. The first prayer is maybe you're here this morning and you have never willingly surrendered your life to Jesus. You, you, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you're separated from God. You, you know, if you know anything about the Bible, the Bible says that we are born enemies of God. You're not a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you were born a sinner. Every single one of us. And there is only one cure for that sin, and that is accepting the free gift of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. I'm going to ask Bruce and Larry if y'all would just take the cover off for me. We're here, and these elements that are here, they're symbols. There's nothing special about them. There's no special bread. It's not some, you know, if we're lucky, it's Welch's and not high top juice. I don't know. So there's nothing special about it, but what's special is what it symbolizes. And it symbolizes a God who loved us so much that he gave of himself that if anyone believes in him should have eternal life. So the first prayer, if you've never trusted in Jesus and him alone, if you're holding on to some ancestry, if you're holding on to, uh, well, my mom's a Christian, or you're holding on to anything else, if you think that you're good enough, let me tell you, you will be sorely disappointed. If you think, well, I can buy my way. No, you can't. The Bible tells us that he owns everything, including you and me. So if you have never, listen, I'm not saying that, hey, when you were a kid, you prayed a prayer and then you haven't been in church for 50 years. Maybe you need to check your faith at the door. If you truly have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now that you can do that. Would you close your eyes, everyone? And if you never trusted in Jesus, just say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to come into my life and make me that new creation Pastor David was talking about. I want to be a new creation. I want to be like you. I want to have your mind. I want to be transformed into your image. I want to be your friend and you be my friend and I will be obedient and I will follow I invite you to come into my life amen if you prayed that prayer after the service I want you to come and just say I prayed that prayer I got some material I'd like to give you and show you what the next steps are now for the rest of us are you living a healthy Christian life?
Is there something that is prohibiting your relationship with God? Is there some bitterness that you're holding on to? Is there some hurt that you won't let go of? Is there some little sin or habit or addiction that you just cannot uh, let go? You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that there were people in the Corinthian church that when they ate the Lord's meal, that some of them got sick and even died. And you know why? It's because they came to the table unworthingly. And we too need to come to the table in a worthy mash, uh, fashion. And the only way that we can do that is right now where you are, I'm going to give you a moment of just silent prayer. God, show me where my sin is. Show me what I need to give back to you. Show me. I confess it. I want to repent of it. And I want to live that sacrificial life for you. Father, thank you for moving in our presence this morning. Thank you for these folks. Oh, how I love to watch them worship. And as we come to this table this morning, I pray that it would be an act of worship. That we would remember what Jesus did for us. In his name I pray. I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward now. Now, as I said, there's nothing special about this little cracker and this little cup of juice that you'll get. But there is one caveat. Only born-again believers can take this. You know, Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me. And only those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can remember what he's done. And so if you are here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we're just going to ask that you let those elements pass by. We don't want to be ugly or mean about it, but we believe that this is for his believers, his followers only. So as it comes by, you're welcome, if you're a believer in Jesus, to, to observe this meal with us. And if not, Jesus, to, to observe, we'd ask that you just let it pass by. For those of you, I understand that, that some of you have low immune systems and may, maybe you just don't want to touch a cracker after somebody's hand's been in. I get it. Back on each door over there, there are some self-contained uh, communion meals with the cup and the styrofoam cracker. Uh, these are better, just FYI. <laughs> Not much, but a little bit. But if you would, as we pass, as our men, our deacon, our, our servants here pass out the element, you're welcome to get up and go to the, either of these back doors on either side and, and get you one of these self-contained. Otherwise, stay seated and, and they will serve you. So I'm going to ask gentlemen, if you would, come and uh, pass out the, the bread for us now.
Brother Larry, would you ask blessing for the bread? The Bible says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brother Bruce, would you pray for the cup?
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then scripture says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as we go out from this place today, I'm going to be standing in the back. And if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, maybe for the very first time, would you come and see me so that I can share with you some information, some materials and other things, and to pray with you so that you become that man or woman that God's called you to become. Now, Scripture says that after they took this uh, Lord's meal, that they stood together and sing. So let's do that together. Let's stand and sing. Mm -hmm.